1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Marseille View. I'm your host Stefan. We are very pleased to bring to you a special edition episode tonight. So we're going to deep dive into the latest Phantom rumours and I'm pleased to say we have a special guest joining us to tell us a bit more about what possibly could be going on behind the scenes. We'll do our usual post-match coverage as well, so we'll be looking at last night's fixture at Bordeaux and then we'll discuss the vacant manager's position and then finally, the latest news around the club. So, joining me tonight is a full supporting cast. I have, as always, Ben. How are you, Ben? Good, thank you. Wouldn't wouldn't have missed this for the world. Brilliant. Um, and I've also got Ed, actually, with me. How are you, Ed, besides murdering Italian cuisine?
2: Uh, if you know, follow me on Twitter, you'll see my awful attempt on uh, carbonara uh, I've been banned from Italy now, I can't go. I don't um, think so. Uh, I, I miss my, I'll miss Milan. land. Um, yeah, it's great to be parachuted in for tonight. It's good to be uh, here discussing what has been the hottest topic of the season so far, of the 2021 season uh, so far in Marseille. So I'm very much looking forward to hearing from Ben. I'm very much looking forward to uh, discussing it and finding a little bit more out.
1: Brilliant, yeah. There's been plenty to talk about recently, hasn't there? Um We've also got Tomas, actually, so nice to have you back, Tomas. Hope all is well with you.
0: Hi, uh, yeah, everything is very good, and I'm very excited to be here for my second episode and to talk about uh, Voluntary M and about other topics.
1: Brilliant, thank you. So let's get started then. So tonight's special feature will be, as we said, a look at the recent sale rumours. So to give a brief history of recent events, some of which were covered in our last podcast, So, if you remember French journalist Thibaut Vizirian, who's been covering the stories about the sale of the club for about a year now. So, recently he broke a story claiming that the club was in fact sold to a Saudi royal prince, Al-Walid bin Talal. Bin Talal, pardon me. So, that's a name that's long time been linked to a potential move to buy the club. Now, several other journalists subsequently revealed information either corroborating those claims or supporting in one way or another, and several others have claimed they were false. Now, the club then released an official statement denying the sale of the club and reaffirming the owner's commitment to a long-term project at Marseille, but nonetheless, some maintain that there is still something in the works. Now, we are very lucky in that we have joining us tonight Ben Jacobs, who is one of those journalists that sort of revealed, I guess, some information regarding possible interest in purchasing Olympique Marseille. Ben, welcome to the show, how are you?
3: Good evening gents, very well thanks, great to be with you.
1: Brilliant, yeah just want to say thank you for joining us and for agreeing to talk to us and share what you know about Marseille suitors, it's very much appreciated.
3: Yeah, absolute pleasure. It's certainly an interesting takeover story, isn't it? One that's effectively brewed, you could argue, really, all the way back to 2014, because Prince Talal's interest in Marseille is actually reasonably long-standing. And although each approach has been very different, he's ultimately had ins with the club through official advisors, through his own interest for a number of years. And the big question, of course, as you've alluded to, is how substantial the talks between him and Frank McCourt are and whether McCourt even wants to sell in the first place and thus how seriously do we take the
1: denials? Bro, you're already given some things away actually um, that some of which I wasn't entirely um, aware of to be honest but that's really good good start so I just wanted to start from the very beginning then and just just because um, I guess some of our listeners, maybe they might not be familiar with your work, because I think most of our listeners actually are from outside the UK. So I thought maybe if it's OK with you, if you could just explain, you know, what you do, what kind of work you're covering and why this story is relevant to you.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a freelance journalist now, but when I was living and working out in the Middle East for seven years, I was based in the UAE and traveling to Saudi Arabia. And then I was based in Doha as a senior journalist for BN Sports. And now I find myself working for a variety of people, including NBC in the United States of America and Al Jazeera in the television world and then writing for all kinds of different outlets, largely looking at the business of sports. So focusing on takeovers and that intersection between sport and business and sport and politics. So a lot of my work is investigative and I still use my contact base out in the Middle East. So naturally, I'm relatively close to the Saudi side. And as a consequence of that, I've also been across the Newcastle United takeover as well. And really, my interest in this Marseille story was focused around initial links, spurious ones between PIF, the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, and Marseille at the same time as they appeared to have withdrawn their interest in Newcastle United. So I started delving originally into whether or not there was any genuine links between PIF and Marseille, which there weren't at which point Marseille fans started engaging with me. And I looked at whether there was wider Saudi interest from private individuals or other companies towards Marseille, knowing at that point that McCourt's position was relatively consistent, that he wasn't interested in selling, but being told by a variety of sources that perhaps for the right price, and given the circumstances, he might be prepared to at least listen to offers, even if ultimately he ends up rejecting them. And the more and more I investigated, the more and more Prince Talal's name came up and over the course of talking to a number of different sources within Kingdom Holding and obviously within Marseille and back in France as well, I was able to at least stand up that interest and that some form of talks had taken place both last summer and more recently picking up again in December. But it's important to note that within the context of Talal and Kingdom Holdings interest, There's no direct link in terms of what was said and explored last summer and what was picked up again last December. So, even though there's been a consistency of interest in Marseille from the same individual, the December talks and anything currently taking place are much less advanced than have been reported by some sources. It's naturally logical to assume that anything taking place now is a continuation of last summer. So things must be long standing and more advanced. But my understanding is essentially that Talal has sort of been hovering around Marseille for a number of years. And this would be his third attempt at at least exploring some kind of investments or acquisition. And given that those talks only started in mid to late December, and considering, as I've said publicly already, that the television rights is an issue that now the lack of manager is an issue, the league form is an issue, the probable lack of qualification for the Champions League is an issue. There's a long, long way to go. And when I use the word issue, I don't mean that these are hurdles that can't be jumped over. I mean, when you're trying to value a club, put a price on it and agree a deal, each of these things obviously factor in what both the buyer and the seller consider to be a fair price. So until there's some stability around these things, my understanding is that a price won't be agreed. And as a consequence, there has currently been no offer. So I've been following this, like I say, essentially because as a broadcast journalist with a lot of experience in the Middle East, I'm able to not only talk to Marseille, but also see it from a Saudi perspective. And that enables you to get both sides and when you get both sides, you get a much clearer picture as to what's actually going on, rather than perhaps what one side is telling you more exclusively to try and foster a narrative that they wish to entertain.
1: I think that's a really good point, actually. Um, I'm glad you touched upon it, because I think some of the reservations that some of our listeners and Om fans have about some of the stories that they've heard, as the sources of where it's coming from and what the motivations might be behind that. So it's really good to hear um, it come from someone who's covering it from a very, very much a different angle. Um, You've kind of answered my the couple of questions I was going to ask at the start. I've got one question, and then perhaps then I'll pass it on to the others. Um, What do you, to your knowledge, what are the motivations? From Al Waleed lead behind this move. Um, what what would be his reason for wanting to purchase OM? Um, and, and I know that there's a lot of different sto- like different things floating around about why that might be. Whether it's to do with his own personal connection or whether it's a part of something state led or bigger, or if it's a purely a private business venture. Have you got any insight into why he might be interested in purchasing Marseille?
3: Yeah, I mean, you can argue it a number of ways. First of all, and quite interestingly, even though public statements have revealed historically that he has a soft spot for Marseille, my understanding is that he, as an individual, is not a particularly big football fan. But what he sees is the power of sport and the value of that to his company and as an individual. And more importantly, now he's back on better terms with Mohammed bin Salman. He obviously wants to tie any potential investments into the wider. Vision 2030 in Saudi Arabia, which is a government-led initiative to try and improve the quality of life in Saudi Arabia and make investments as well away from the world of oil. And of course, that's possibly why the public investment fund was linked with Marseille, along with other clubs, because they're ultimately the ones trying to fulfill Vision 2030. But every significant Saudi investor is also looking to put their money behind investments that are not only lucrative, but give Saudi Arabia a platform to promote themselves outside of the world of oil to the cynics, also sport wash a little bit as well. And these will be some of the wider aims. You could also argue, even though the Gulf crisis and the feud between Qatar and Saudi Arabia has alleviated in recent months, you could technically argue that Marseille is sort of a way of getting back to some extent in a backhanded, indirect way at Qatar. Because if you can have Marseille back and competing for titles and denying PSG silverware, then you've sort of got a direct Saudi Arabia Qatar rivalry, which is ultimately pretty good for League One in terms of the money and investment and wider meaner audience. But sometimes these individuals do have personal agendas and egos. And it may well be that there's a small part of anybody interested from Saudi Arabia in investing in Marseille or ultimately Prince Talal himself. There could be a slight motivation um, along those lines. But, you know, for me, as somebody a little bit more neutral, I would say that that would not be the primary motivator. It would be much more of an added bonus. So then when you sort of take all of those slightly broader reasons for potentially investing in Marseille, you can then look at the more specific and direct ones that there are personal connections that Marseille already have some kind of affinity with Saudi Arabia and it is just business because you have a number of people realizing that sport is the vehicle to invest. And then through that investment, you can give this global audience to your country. And that can come through a shirt sponsor, that can come through visits to the country, that can come through players talking about it, that can come through partnerships like bringing an official airline. So it's common sense that anybody from the Middle East and Saudi Arabia in this case would still look at the PSG model Like, yes, as I said before, potentially from a rivalry perspective, but also just from a good business model, because it's worked for Paris Saint-Germain. They've been able to become a dominant force. And unlike the Premier League, buying a club like Marseille is a pretty easy route comparative to the Premier League if you succeed and invest sensibly over time in regularly getting into the Champions League, which is how you commercialise and how you ultimately Um, Move the club back to its glory days and in doing so uh, generate a big enough business to turn over a profit, which from a personal perspective is still the primary motivation of any owner that comes in. And, you know, you could also add that at the back of anyone's mind looking to currently buy a football club, they may be considering these talks of a breakaway Super League but probably more likely they're considering the expanded Champions League which is going to give all of the big leagues in Europe uh, a better chance of qualifying and extra spaces all round so when the Champions League format is redefined and becomes bigger that's also going to increase the likelihood of regularly qualifying for the Champions League if you're at Marseille as well as clubs in other leagues so then how many clubs are there out there that can easily and relatively quickly with a bit of investment and sensible management get into the Champions League and how many of them are currently available and how many of them are available for the right price. And I think when you add up all of those things, even though there's a lot of instability currently at Marseille, in a perfect world, if McCourt can be persuaded to sell and the debt can be alleviated and the stadium situation can be sorted and a new manager comes in, Once the storm blows over, it could be seen as a very shrewd investment. So I think for Talal, it is just business. Of course, if he does come in, the tune may change and he might start saying, yeah, I've always loved Marseille. I've always been a fan. But like I say, I think you've actually got a much more distant figure than is being portrayed, uh, who isn't this day to day football or Marseille fan, despite having on public record a soft spot for Marseille as a place and having some connections. But I really think it's more for him about is it the right price? Is it the right investment? Can I take this club regularly into the Champions League and have them compete with Paris Saint-Germain? And then how on top of all of that can a acquisition, if it happens, benefit Saudi Arabia at large? Because as I said earlier, he's on better terms now with Mohammed bin Salman. And just to add to that, if those of you that are listening aren't aware of the sort of bad blood previously between them, a few years back Talal was actually arrested by Mohammed bin Salman on charges of corruption and he was jailed for a period of time under a house arrest. It was a kind of a sham prison in the sense that he was locked away in, believe it or not, the Ritz Hotel, uh, which is quite a strange prison to be in, but that's kind of how it can work at times with high ranking people in Saudi Arabia. And those charges of corruption were, as Talal put it, a misunderstanding, and nothing else has ever been said publicly on the record. So some people think that it was just a case of the Crown Prince cracking down, on some high profile individuals that he didn't get on with. Other people think it was a ploy in order to kind of fake arrest them and then take some money off them and force them to invest in various government ventures. But nobody's really got to the bottom of why he was arrested. But it is very interesting that having previously fallen out with Mohammed bin Salman, there has now over the course of the last year or so been some talk of a reconciliation and maybe them having some kind of joint venture in the context of Marseille. As I said earlier, I don't see that being through PIF. I don't see Mohammed bin Salman or the Saudi government being directly involved in any capacity. But it certainly can't hurt to have Mohammed bin Salman's indirect support if he was successful in buying the club, because then even though he's already got a fortune of about 19 billion to then have the weight of the government behind you, supporting you and so on, um, it's naturally going to make the excitement around the club and the options and the potential to really become a force in European football um, even uh, more uh, interesting and exciting uh, with that s- sort of weight of power and influence potentially behind it all. But, you know, obviously for now we are only talking about ifs and buts. So um, before we get too excited, these talks have to become a lot more advanced.
1: Thank you. No, that's really insightful. I'm actually kind of pleased that you commented on our we'll lead a bit in a bit more depth because I think that there's been a real myth that's been created about him and his character amongst the OEM fans over the last six years um, which is, yeah, maybe not very realistic perhaps, um, so it's good to hear a bit more about him and what his motivations might be and all this You've kind of an- answered kind of probably most of what I was going to ask for now, so I'm going to hand it over to the others and see if they've got any questions <laughs> for you, if that's okay <laughs> Shall I start with you Ben? Yeah
4: yeah, I guess Steph, you, you've summed it up. You have answered most of the questions we had, Ben. So thanks a lot. Um, what, one of the most important ones, as uh, a lot of people use this to bash Vizierion quite a bit, was how does this guy know? How how can he possibly know these things? What connections does he have? And, and you've been very helpful because you've you've defined, you've worked over there, you've got inroads more or less with with peoples on on people on site. And I don't think there's, there's any more question marks about your, your you know, knowledge or involvement. Um, sadly, you've, you've also exposed that it is very early days and that it's still an event advanced stage. I guess, I think you've touched on it briefly with, with trying to compare the PSG situation to Marseille. Um, if this went through, do you think that the project would be as ambitious in its scope as Qatar's was with PSG?
3: Yeah, it's a good question and I think that it would have to be in the sense that if you're going to come in with the wealth of Prince Talal and Kingdom Holdings, then to settle for anything other than trying to transform a team that already has a rich history, to settle for anything that isn't winning the league ahead of PSG, that isn't competing in the Champions League, would be a little bit strange. Because this isn't the Premier League where there's some sort of halfway house, you know, a top four finish regularly losing out to PSG, but still making the Champions League. It wouldn't cut for me in League 1. And I think eventually the fans would become pretty disgruntled, even if the Champions League qualification was a bit more regular. And, you know, ultimately... What PSG have done, regardless of their domestic success, is they've built a squad with depth and European know-how to get to the latter stages of the Champions League. And even though it hasn't always quite worked for them, and even though they've had some crazy and unexpected losses and defeats. And, you know, we all remember, obviously, the Barcelona one from a few years back where Nasser Al-Khalafi left thinking they'd won. And then by the time he was out the stadium, they were out after conceding all those late goals. So um, that is one thing in terms of fine, they haven't gone all the way, but by the same token, every single season now you look at the squad and you look at their potential and you mark them down as contenders. And Marseille fans might not like to hear that, but it's absolutely true that if you're going to pick out on paper four, five teams, they're going to be one of them season in, season out. To be there in the quarterfinals, the semifinals, the final, or all the way, and I think that Marseille would have to be somewhere close to that over a three to five-year period. Let's say it's certainly not going to happen overnight, and the Saudi side, anyway, wouldn't be hands-on or day-to-day to facilitate that. So. What you're actually talking about is more information needed over time, if anything progresses from this, whereby the money comes from the Saudi side. But there has to be some clarity over who would handle the club on a day to day basis, not just on the management side, which in all likelihood will be appointed long before anything advances in the context of this takeover. And then if a new ownership group comes in under Prince Talal, they'll have to decide if they want to stick or twist with whoever ends up replacing AVB. But it would still require a, in all likelihood, new president, possible new sporting director, and then a strategy for the day-to-day management amongst the chairman and directors, of which none of those roles, as I understand it, would be fulfilled by Prince Talal. He'll be a very distant owner, somebody that comes over and signs checks effectively or delegates the signature of checks, but not someone that's gonna move to Marseille and run any aspect of the club on a day-to-day basis. So all you really have at that end is a huge injection of capital. And as we know from a number of football clubs, capital alone without strategy doesn't really get you anywhere. So I think that the answer to your question as to how Marseille would be positioned is as a direct and regular rival to PSG in Europe, along with others, and of course in League 1 as well. But first, they would need to reveal what their strategy and game plan is. And it's almost a shame, looking back rather than forwards, that this takeover or any takeover with this level of ambition wasn't around when AVB first joined the club and couldn't have worked in tandem with him because although things didn't end well for AVB and he became frustrated with the sporting policy and ultimately a bit forlorn and resigned to leaving at the end of the season and then forcing his exit. If you look at the 18 months before that, I actually think that he did exactly what a Prince Talal or any new owner would want. I think it'd be very easy to dismiss his contribution to Marseille. But for me, his time at Marseille was actually spent very well putting the kind of building blocks in place that could move the club towards challenging PSG. And he deserves credit for that, in my opinion. He inherited a side that ultimately failed to secure European football in 2018 and 2019. And they were, what, about 30 points adrift of PSG at that point, finishing in fifth place. They lost Gustavo, a uh, Campos Balotelli obviously who a lot of people might say so what but I think he'd scored about eight goals in 15 or 16 games and what did he do he led you to second in the league and into the Champions League and um, that's the start uh, he reignited Tovan uh, which is not an easy thing to do as anyone that saw him play in uh, England uh, would tell you uh, Dimitri Payet as well, another sort of aloof player that he was able to reignite. And even if we go back to as um, late as last December, uh, when I think you won six straight games, um, things again were looking up. So the decline of both amicable relationships and form on the field and the loss of favour amongst uh, a very passionate group of fans, has come very steeply and quickly, uh, which is a shame because all we'll really remember over the coming weeks and months is the Ferrari and the rudderless ship, and now how distant you are from PSG again. Uh, But ironically, it was AVB that got you about as close as you could have possibly hoped uh, to PSG during his um, tenure at the club. And if I was a Prince Talal style figure looking for a strategy, um, I would probably be trying to replicate all the good that AVB did, even though he'll unfortunately be remembered for the bad.
4: <laughs> Indeed. I think that's the only question I had, because as, as I mentioned, you you did answer a lot of the other questions that I had initially. Um, but uh, I guess if I could say it, credit to you, because I, I don't think any of us expected you to have so much knowledge of, of the club or the history and the context. And um, yeah, very impressed. Well done. (laughs) Thank
1: you.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it's important to note that when you cover these stories, particularly when you don't work in France, you have to make extra effort. And no journalist is going to come on and tell you their exact sources. It's the most often asked question to any journalist, particularly when you're investigating something, which is my area of speciality, and you gain your sources by offering them protection. But you will regularly allude to what side or party the sources come from. And as I've said before, it's pointless trying to cover this and only talk to Marseille or only talk to uh, the kingdom holding uh, group and get statements from them, whether they're public or off record. You have to look at lots of different areas and that is club officials and current ownership groups. That is not only Prince Talal and his advisors, Uh, But it's also the wider Saudi family, because, as I say, any potential takeover might well play into uh, a broader vision. So you have to look at a variety of things to actually get the full picture. uh, And part of that is also a firm understanding of where Marseille are currently at. And I think a lot of people are discounting where Marseille are currently at because they're idealising a potential takeover, especially because they've been told that the club has been sold by one particular journalist and that's fine if that's the message that he's been given. Um, My understanding is that's not true. My understanding is that there is no price agreed and part of that is because um, if you were starting this from scratch now and effectively talks from the summer only rekindled in December, you would want to know how am I going to value the club? So regardless of what Frank McCourt may or may not want, which I understand stand is around 650 million Um, if you're valuing the club and let's just assume in a hypothetical that there is a willing seller and there isn't the specifics of what has actually transpired we're looking at a much more simple owner that just wants to sell you're going to be saying okay What's the situation with the stadium? What's the situation with the squad? Are we gonna qualify for the Champions League again? When talks started earlier and they were in the Champions League, uh, how far could we go in the Champions League and what kind of commercial impact is that gonna have on the club? Uh, What's the level of debt that due diligence has shown? Are there any other financial skeletons in the closet? Uh, Now you're also looking at the television rights Because even though Canal have come in, which is very positive and led to a few talks um, a couple of weeks back to try and firm up uh, the future, that's still only a stopgap deal, which means you could buy the club and then you could be in the same position again where you don't get the domestic rights windfall that you were hoping from. So you have to add all of those hypotheticals up, each of which at the moment, because there's not much clarity around any of them, Uh, lowers the price and lowers the price and lowers the price. And when Prince Talal first came in um, and made his first approach to the club, he was valuing the uh, the, uh, club at about 125 million euros. When he came in last summer, he was looking to buy at about 250 million euros. And when he started talks up again in December, he was willing to go up to a valuation of about 340 with a series of permutations depending on things like where are they going to finish this season? Are they going to get into Europe and so on? That's my understanding anyway. But that 340 million with maybe a bit of debt consolidation, maybe a few extras here and there is still absolutely miles off McCourt's valuation. And um, therefore you either have to take McCourt's statement, uh, calling it all rumor as um, a way of dismissing uh, because he, he genuinely still doesn't want to sell or it's a way of playing hardball because talks are in a very advanced stage and he wants to shout down any media attention and do it all privately and get the highest possible price. Um, But one thing's for sure, in my opinion, um, and like I say, I don't claim to be a Marseille expert or fan. I'm not there day to day on the fields, but I've covered enough takeovers from various different parties. I've heard enough conflicting narratives. I've heard enough competing stories uh, through a variety of takeovers that I've covered and I've seen a number of takeovers that both have and haven't happened from the Middle East. So there was Bin Zayed group at Newcastle United where they issued a statement saying a deal was done and they never took over the club and now they've gone to Derby County and that deal still isn't done. There's PIF at Newcastle who through Newcastle United are in a court case at the moment Um, against the premier league trying to make some headway to maybe get that deal over the line. There was golf finance house that took over Leeds United. And then the chairman, David Hay, went back to Dubai and got arrested. There was Manchester city and the Al Nyan group uh, all coming out of the middle East. So I've kind of seen all the different angles and permutations. And one thing I would say genuinely, despite maybe the opinion of other Marseille fans is that when the owner comes out with that strong a denial, Nothing whatsoever is imminent because McCaw and Talal would look absolutely ridiculous if in a week or two they suddenly U turn and say, Actually, I know we told you it was all rumour and it bordered on defamatory, but actually, we're selling the club tomorrow. It's just not the way that uh, anything would have been done. They'd have made no comment if the story at the time of publication was accurate. That doesn't mean there's nothing in it, that doesn't mean that uh, talks aren't progressing, but whatever narrative that a price has been agreed and a deal is done. um, That particular claim was not, in my view, having spoken to both sides, 100% accurate and has been shot down by McCourt and has been shot down by Kingdom Holdings. So it's probably just a case of now being patient and waiting and seeing whether less advanced talks uh, become more advanced talks. And uh, as I say, for that to happen, the two parties would have to agree upon a price first. Uh, But I just don't think from my knowledge of uh, other Middle Eastern takeovers, that any public statement intimating a sale uh, will be made unless it's simply a statement of intent, which as I mentioned with Bin Zayed Group and Newcastle was made. And still that sale never happened. but it is a sort of cultural tendency within the Middle East to take one of two tacks. And uh, a lot of these big businesses and individuals do that. Uh, Tack number one is they keep totally silent until the deal is 100% done in which case there's no way McCourt would have made the statement uh, that he made um, if a deal was imminent. Or tack number two, which is often a bit foolhardy, uh, is the buying group do release the statements simply of intent, uh, which is what I was talking about on social media when uh, I was talking ahead of the um, Paris Saint-Germain derby. Uh, And they sometimes just say, yep, we've heard these rumours, we confirm them, we're really hopeful of buying it, Uh, we've nearly... Agreed terms, and that's sort of a you know we want positive press. Everyone's going to be really excited. It doesn't mean the deal is going to be done, but it's sort of a way of courting the fans and revealing something's happening. And um, it's not the wisest of tactics, in my opinion. But there is a possibility that when Kingdom Holding uh, think they're in a position where an acquisition is likely, uh, they may say something in public, particularly to Saudi press, that will filter its way over to France and the English speaking market. Uh, But I sense um, it's more likely that we'll see radio silence now either way. And then out the blue, uh, we'll discover that the talks either have become advanced or ultimately Prince Talal and his consortium have just faded away. um, And uh, that's the end of it. So it's not the best news for Marseille fans because you're kind of just going to have to be very patient. Um, But um, obviously, um, I'm constantly across and seeing whether. Uh, I can get my hands on any more information.
1: Wow, um, about, it's a massive dose of reality there, isn't it? Okay, Ed, I think, do you, have you got a question uh, to ask? Yes, I
2: have. Um, uh, good evening, Ben. It's uh, great to have you on. Um, we've heard in recent days uh, that the French Parliament are so not very keen that Saudi Arabia uh, invests in football, uh, even though Qatar and uh, the former president of the Republic, uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, had their fingers in the PSG pie. Um, is there a real danger that the French government could possibly kibosh this deal due to Saudi Arabia's far from adequate uh, human rights records? It's
3: possible. I mean, you know, you want your politicians to stand up for what they believe in on the human rights front. But Legally, it's really difficult, as the Premier League have found with Newcastle United, to fight on those grounds, especially when you're dealing with private individuals who can always, from a legal perspective anyway, even if the practical reality is different, distance themselves very firmly from the government. So this isn't Mohammed bin Salman buying or investing in Marseille. It's a private individual who has ultimately done business with a variety of other high-profile brands. So... Uh, Prince Talal also owns a big music brand called Ritana Audio, which is about to be bought by um, Universal. And um, that's, you know, a global deal with a global brand for something in the region of 200 million dollars. And this is the argument Newcastle United fans made with PIF, um, where uh, there's far more blurred lines between um, are they independent or are they directly related to the government? But they said, well, hang on a minute. This is a sovereign wealth fund that's bought stakes and things like Uber. So what's the problem with Newcastle United? Uh, I don't think there would be any grounds on human rights, even if a moral stance is admirable to specifically uh, pin uh, those um, kind of um, charges on Talal uh, and reject it. Uh, what they might be able to do, and they certainly would be able to do if it was the Premier League under that owners and directors test is just reject him, Uh, on the grounds that he's been jailed for corruption charges that he hasn't actually gone to a court uh, and had dismissed. Um, He's just, as I said earlier, called it a misunderstanding and then all parties have moved on and he was released. Um, The owners and directors test, if you like, in France operates a lot differently and um, he wouldn't have started uh, those talks unless he thought that he could relatively confidently walk through the door. And I know those. Obviously, those that will say, well, what about Nasser al-Khalafi and charges against him? And he's already in the door, but uh, it's slightly different because those charges against Khalafi uh, were dismissed at the recent case. So, um, you know, he hasn't been charged of anything, whereas Talal actually has. Um, and, you know, the, the broader thing with the France-Saudi Arabia relations is certainly interesting. Um But I think you'll get a very similar attack to Newcastle United in the UK, which is that the government shouldn't interfere and won't be allowed to interfere in any approval behind the sales. So they may try and lobby and take an opinion, um, but it won't reflect very well on League One if instead of implementing their usual approval process for any prospective owner, they turn... Uh, to the government for some kind of feedback or approval, or they listen to an external source lobbying, because any prospective deal would be confidential and or should be confidential in theory and would be between uh, Talal and Frank McCourt. so the government shouldn 't even have too much knowledge of it to be able to intervene. Um, so I think a lot of people perhaps uh, again are jumping the gun on that. Um, when um you know actually at the moment Saudi Arabia is an ally of France they've got strong military and political connections they've got economic uh connections as well um and um they work together uh, on a variety of strategic partnerships there's obviously a functional embassy in Riyadh as well uh and I think um there's a consulate general uh, from my knowledge in um Jeddah as well and both countries sit in the G20 so um I think the government, if anything, would be quite wary of interfering in a sale specific to Marseille for fear of burning wider political bridges. Um, So it it would be my understanding um, that if a sale happened, uh, the government would very much um, allow Ligon to fulfil its own process of approval um, and take a, a back seat. Because um, you know, for something so specific to football and Marseille uh, to object, you, you would risk um, fracturing your entire relationship uh, between the two countries
1: Thank you, Thomas, have you got any questions for Ben?
0: Uh, yeah, uh, thank you, Ben, very much for that because because it was really very very insightful, and I uh, loved the the broader political context that you painted for us. I would love to talk w- with you about uh, the the future of modern football and politics, but I, I, I'm not sure if our uh, listeners are into that. Uh, instead, I would like to slip in like two quick but c- quick and concrete questions about our uh, situation. So the first one is. Uh, did I understood correctly that uh, actually the lack of a new coach is can be a hurdle in this Potential sale, or maybe uh, we can read this situation that we don't have this uh, a coach because there is some kind of talks going on, and and maybe the new owner would like to have a say in in uh, in this um, appointment. So that's the first question, and the second one is about actually your sources in uh, Marseille because you said that you also um, have some contacts there. So uh, do you know if this the um, if the uh, let's say. Um, like late, latest events around the club and around the supporters, do they actually influence the McCarts' decision or intentions about selling or or um, keeping the club? So, these are my two quick questions. Thank you. Yeah, good
3: questions. And um, as regards the manager, my understanding, as I've said repeatedly, is that talks are not far enough advanced for any prospective owner whether that's Talal or even a new party that comes in to uh, influence that appointment. So um, the physical appointment of the new manager won't make any real difference. It's more just uh, somebody's going to have to replace AVB long before any new ownership group um, comes in. And McCourt would obviously argue that no ownership group is going to come in. So then the challenge is that whoever that person is, is going to be, uh, new to the club. And if a takeover happened in, let's say, um, the next year before 2021 is out, that ownership group would have a difficult decision as to whether they've got their own name in mind or they're going to persist with whoever has been brought in to replace AVB. Whereas if you look at when the talks first started in December, uh, this round of talks between Talal and McCourt, You could argue at that point there was probably an expectation that AVB was just going to run out his deal and leave in the summer. So then you've got a scenario where the new ownership group knows they've got carte blanche and the best part of half a year to be looking at new names with no rush and no urgency. And um, they don't have to make that decision on the coach, because I think it was always obvious, really, even when things were a little bit better, that for whatever reason, AVB was not going to be seeing out his contract and I think once it was apparent that the team had flopped in the Champions League it was obvious that there was no real way back even when um, arguably uh, the club were performing a a little bit better so um, that's kind of one thing on that and I think the second thing to say on that is more just um, any prospective ownership group will also just be looking at the lack of a manager and uh, be worried because they see that there's fractures in key positions in the club. So, um, you know, are they going to question whether AVB made any valid points? Are they going to be panicking that they need to also be looking at presidents and sporting directors because it's clear that not everybody is on the same page? So AVB's departure may show any uh, new ownership group that they need to ultimately look at a number of new appointments rather than just a manager uh, because things are clearly not ticking and there's not a continuity in the scenes or on the field at the moment. Um, And um, obviously until we get a new manager in, um, we won't kind of know uh, what the reaction from the Talal camp is, regardless of what happens with the takeover. Uh, But it would certainly be interesting if it's like a Sarri or a Benitez or a Valverde uh, to at least see what their opinion of um, that kind of appointment is. Uh, But, you know, the challenge is any manager's seen the backstory at Marseille and um, none of those three, as I understand it, are particularly interested in the role. So that's the other challenge is that if you're coming into the club and you want a big name, you suddenly have to persuade that big name that it's a good environment and a a positive environment and a, a good working environment. Um, whereas these big name managers are not going to want to have the same kind of problems and disputes as as AVB had over player transfers and so on. Even if AVB was also forcing his own exit, um, he'll still potentially be communicating his side of the story to some of the names I just mentioned. And that might prove a hurdle as well. So um, I don't think the lack of manager or a new manager has a massive impact in the long term, but I just think it provides a few headaches in the short term. And then, um, As regards your uh, second question, which was about um, Marseille, right? And the uh, sources within them. Uh, Just just remind me again of of what you specifically wanted to know. Yeah, the
0: the question is, uh, like, are... are, um... Uh, are the recent events around the club and the conflict between the supporters and uh, and, and our current owner? Is there, uh, do you know that, uh, does, the, does it influence at all Frank McCourt in his decisions to keep or, or sell the club?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the McCourt sources that I've spoken to um, all paint the same picture of um, a, an owner who is bullish about finishing what he started and um, who is unperturbed. Um, and feels like he will win back over um, doubters and dissenters. So um, I don't think fan protests and negative feedback are going to force his hand. I've used the phrase before uh, when I've reported on the prospective takeover that McCourt's in no rush. And ultimately, his main priority is not jumping ship. It's getting an outstanding offer um, that suits him. And only then would he entertain leaving and otherwise his position will remain uh, the same as it has been repeatedly over uh, really the course of the last 18 months or so, which is that the club is not for sale. Um,
4: He's the kind of character. Sorry, Ben, Ben. just on that, I I guess what what you're saying indirectly and you're painting the picture and I'm sure you'll conclude the same thing. You're drawing parallels between his tenure with the L.A. Dodgers baseball franchise and, and OM, which is. He doesn't really care what's going on. He's, he's got his convictions and he wants to follow through regardless of his public image.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, he cares about the business and he cares about the club. I, I'm sure of that. And it's very easy to say that he doesn't when things aren't going well or because um, he's not there on a day-to-day basis. And there are some parallels for sure uh, with the Dodgers. Um, but I think the point is more that um, it's very easy, especially during the pandemic where digital has taken an added pertinence to assume that the vocal fans and the fans who are abusing and the fans who aren't even real fans but use the club as a platform for uh, violence and even some of the genuine fans that have just changed their tune on the club and are feeling more disconnected than ever. It's very easy to think that they're the majority um, when in fact they are the vocal minority or they're just the most prevalent upon digital channels. And as soon as obviously, and I know it's a bit different in France, but as soon as over the pandemic, uh, fans were minimalized in stadiums or uh, couldn't attend at all, digital had added pertinence and has just become a, a way of engaging for more and more and more. And I think we're seeing more debate and more arguments and more coordinated fan behavior, which ultimately, Uh, bubbled over in the case of Marseille towards um, the protest at the training ground, leading to the called off game. Um, And um, that kind of stuff, I don't think has too much impact on the court because he's rightly able to dismiss that as um, a slightly riotous and to be honest with you, barbaric, barbaric attitude. uh, Because whereas I totally applaud the passion of um, Marseille fans and I enjoy engaging with them, Uh, there's obviously a line about forcing your way into a training ground irresponsibly during a pandemic and setting off flares to try and make a point that you could have done in a more cordial way. And I think rightly, that kind of response shouldn't generate an owner backing down. It should make an owner stronger because the last thing McCourt, or in my opinion, any owner should want to do is cave to essentially a, and I know a lot of Marseille fans listening won't like me for saying this, but a mob mentality. It was an absolute disgrace what some sections of the Marseille fan base did in breaking into a training ground in putting fear into the players, um, in destabilizing the club that ultimately they say they support. Uh, so sure, protest. Absolutely. Do it passionately. Do it fervently. Call for an owner to be removed. And um, he's obviously aware of that message so uh, it's not a uh, totally uh, meaningless task but it won't alter his decision to um, see out the project to uh, commercialize the club to get rid of the debt and to try and restore it to its glory. And he's gonna keep saying that narrative until either it becomes a truth or he gets a good enough offer to walk away. And then we might hear what he really thinks about some of his interaction with the fans. But um, I can't stress enough um, that to an outsider watching some of the behaviour of the fans, uh, it was very poor. Uh, it was very sad. And um, like I say, I love football fans that are prepared to wear their heart on their sleeve. I love football fans that are prepared to protest peacefully and within legal means. But uh, I just don't think it was the right approach or helpful to the situation uh, to do what they did uh, to put fear into the whole organisation uh, To disconnect uh, between the players and the fans, uh, because the same players now might wonder if they go to sign an autograph in a car park after training, what's going to happen. All it does is add to the uh, drama and instability currently at the club. And um, it's a shame uh, that it came to that, to be perfectly honest with you. And from McCourt's point of view, uh, he's fortunate in the sense he's not there on the doorstep. um, And I think from a distance, uh seeing something like that uh will actually uh, only make him more bullish to stick to his guns.
1: Ben, I to be honest, like I've probably um heard everything I I wanted to ask. So I if I I'm quite happy to kind of wrap it up unless anyone else has got any final questions um to Ben I, I, before I he agree. goes.
4: I I agree and I think the only final question that, that we'd need to ask is As and when this heats up a bit further and further things emerge, would you be happy to come back on? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing with these kind of talks is that
3: they can happen very quickly and suddenly, or they can happen very slowly. A lot simply depends on whether the pieces all fall into place. So it's definitely worth keeping across um, solely because um, you, you have three phases to a takeover, if you like. You have the initial talks, and whether or not the seller is prepared to entertain any kind of offer from the buyer. And then as they become more advanced, you have elements of due diligence and valuation of the club, which, as I've already said, Talal's people uh, have done, and it's slightly higher than his last approach to the club. And then at that point, you have a lot of different points of dispute and things to resolve uh, and maybe some uh, hidden things from uh, looking at the club. And um, these kind of things through lawyers can, can take a lot of time. Uh, but if it does get to the point where an offer is accepted, um, at that point, it could obviously move a lot quicker. Um, I, I would personally still be surprised, even if everything went according to plan and things were more advanced, if anything happened before the season was out. Um, but like I say, watch this space and um, I'm happy to come back on and discuss uh, if we do see any movement over the coming weeks or months.
1: Thank you, Ben. Um, it's been really really great to hear your thoughts on this actually and you've really revealed quite a lot of information that i guess we're probably not all privy to and um, we've heard little bits and bobs from various sources maybe a couple of main sources in france but it's been really good to hear the level of detail you've got and, exp- and to hear you explain why you think the, th- the things that you do and what you know about the club and why why you've kind of formed those opinions Um especially from someone who's um you know, very connected to the region and is interested in the story from maybe a slightly different perspective. Um before you go, Ben, I have I guess I've got a one a, just a one word question. Um very basic is it's a yes or no answer. Do you think do you think this will happen with lead? Do you think it will be successful?
3: I mean, look, it's a simple question, but it doesn't have a simple answer. And I say this to Newcastle fans as well. It's it's irresponsible as a journalist uh, to be saying yes, it will or no, it won't. Because my understanding um, is that it's not in an advanced enough position to be giving that kind of answer. Now, obviously, there's other journalists out there that are saying the deal is done that would give you a straight yes and it will dismiss the denials. Uh, my understanding is that um, you know, we're nowhere near a um, position to to be saying anything other than the interest is genuine and the parties have spoken. So it's now up to the parties, if they're both still interested and continue to talk, to work out a fair price and see whether McCourt is prepared to lower um, his uh, own asking price. Um, because, you know, fundamentally, if he doesn't do that, then you can talk until you're blue in the face and absolutely nothing is going to happen. So, uh, right now, I would say there's not enough information or advanced nature of the talks to say that, yes, it will happen. Uh, only that, yes, there is a willingness on, uh, Talal's part to make it happen. Um, I would probably say that, um, a lot of, uh, talks and points of resolution still need to happen um otherwise um it's still more likely not to happen uh, over the coming weeks and months um and i think mccourt's statement uh dismissing it all as rumor regardless of whether that is or isn't a tactic um was not wise if deep down he does or is prepared to entertain um a sale specifically to Talau, because um You have to understand that um, somebody of his stature and with his ties and the way he does business um, is not going to want to hear, even if he knew it to be false, is not going to want to hear a statement using those words and calling um, his interest in the club rumour and um, damning and damaging. Uh, So that's not going to help regardless of anything. And um, one thing I've been trying to find out is kind of, that camp's reaction to McCourt's statement and whether they knew it was coming and uh, whether they're pleased uh, or not, which they won't be, to hear McCourt say something in that kind of tone and in that kind of way. So, uh, you know, yeah, look, it is a simple question and I'd love to give you a one-word answer to it, but there is no one-word answer at the moment. And to be honest with you, anybody that tells you uh, that it's definitely done either has different sources to me um, or uh, has been misled, and anyone that tells you it definitely won't happen uh, clearly hasn't spoken enough to the Saudi side, uh, where through a variety of different sources, I have been able to stand up that the interest is genuine.
1: No, that's fine. And to be honest, it's a stupid question because I'm I'm giving you a question that's Im- virtually impossible to answer. You're kind of you're doomed <laughs> either way you answered it. But no, um, thank I, you. I'd have
4: been pissed off if you hadn't tried stuff, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but thank the thing you is, so- though, is honestly,
3: like, I don't... It's not, like... People have to understand that a journalist is going to be given actual facts that they've been able to investigate and they're going to be given uh, a narrative from one side because maybe McCourt wants it out there that he doesn't want to sell. Or maybe there's a point where he wants it out there that he does want to sell or maybe there's more than one suitor. So uh, people put things out there um, to fuel a narrative, which is why it's so vital that you have to talk to both sides and see whether the same narratives and the same message and the same facts are there. And then when they differ, you have to start investigating. So a journalist is looking to get specific facts. And I think I was one of the first people to name Talal and talk about the Saudi side. And then uh, a journalist can only really speak to both parties. And um, it's sort of irresponsible um, for a journalist to win points to sort of say yes or no, uh, if there isn't a yes or no, because that only fuels the um, kind of... um, online trolling if you like, because if you say no, you're gonna get attacked. Um, And if you say yes and it doesn't happen, you're gonna get attacked. And if you say yes and it doesn't happen, uh, the training ground might get attacked again and another game might get called off. So I'm very much of the belief that if I know 100% from both parties with the same fact uh, that it's gonna happen, I'll say it's gonna happen. But uh, if one side tells me one thing and one side tells me another thing, and my own investigations don't corroborate that we're at a point where a sale is imminent. Uh I I, I naturally can only report that and uh, sit a bit more
1: on the fence. No, thank you so much. No, that's um fair enough. Yeah, I just like I, I think we're gonna wrap it up because we've we've got a game to cover actually that we um <laughs> we're gonna break down. Luckily, and, the game was yeah, nil and- nil wasn't. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So perhaps maybe not too much we want to say about it, but also just the fact that um, Marcy never ceases to give us controversial stories uh, uh, every week. So we've got another one come up today that we're going to try and uh, analyse. But um, yeah, just to say thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your thoughts. It's been really, really insightful and, and really interesting to hear that level of detail. So yeah, thank you so much.
3: Pleasure, guys, and good luck for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, th- thank, thank you. you ben. Thank cheers, you, guys. Much, Ben. cheers. Bye. Yep. Take care. Thank you very much. Right, <laughs> we have <laughs> Where quite. Did go from? Here. Yeah, I know we've got quite <laughs> a bit to cover. Um, I don't think we're going to have very much time to go into much detail of uh, any of the other topics, but um, but we'll, we'll we'll try and sort of gloss over the game and maybe the the news today very quickly if 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 you're okay. And I guess if anyone. Has to go, just go. You know that's fine, and we can. We've got a big group today, so we can sort of manage to plough through the 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 remaining topics. But before we move on, is that is a, anyone got any thoughts about what we've just heard? Which has been really a lot of information, isn't it? Um, so yeah, is it if you've got anything you want to you want to say about that before we finish up? That fire away, guys. Uh,
4: I guess just quickly, um, the the number one had doubt. I had not about not about Ben as a as a journalist or, or even Vizirian is the credibility and the background that that has led them to have this information this possession in their possession and I, that's the, that myth has been dispelled for me I think that Ben has has you know exposed perfectly impertinently how he how he he didn't know uh, why he thinks it's a strong possibility but not yet done. And, and my, my analysis, and, and I'm, I'm not surprised, It's exactly where I thought the stage of the discussions were at, as in that they're, they're taking place. He, McCall was reluctant at first, but the, the state of the season and the club's finances probably made him see reason. Um, but he's playing hardball, as you would. He's a good negotiator. Credit to him. Um, and I guess the, the important message for everybody who just listened to that segment is wait and see. It's underway. There's a strong interest from the buyer, but it's very early days so be patient,
0: yeah, i I, I, I would say just like for me, it was like uh, it sounded so I'm not sure if boring is the right way, but it it sounded so boring and, uh, and tedious, like this this stage of con on, of conversation that I think that it is credible because uh, it is something else than someone that who is saying, yes, it is definitely. Uh, going over, etc., cetera, et cetera. So it was like this, this kind of, uh, you know, that uh, det- detailed uh, and um, like, tedious approach to that. Uh, for me, it's it sounded very credible.
1: I think that's a really good point, Thomas, because I think that some people would name them might sensationalise what they what they've heard and what they know, and that really just fuels people to get overexcited, excited, get their hopes up, and and start. Kind of, for stories to start growing legs and I think what we heard was a bit more um, of a dose of realism and seemed a bit more um, plausible so yeah, I, yeah I, I agree with what you're saying like, the fact that it's like it's, it all sounded very sensible That it, the, yeah it's probably I, I, my initial gut feeling is that this is probably more likely what's going on than what we're hearing elsewhere is that we're looking at something in such early stages um, and at the moment, it's not really, we don't know whether or not it will progress beyond that because we don't know what the club, what the owner, the current owner really, really wants to do, whether it's enough to push them or not. So, yeah. Ed, have you got anything to say before we move on?
2: Yeah, I'd just like to say it was a tremendously good listen. Um, I think we found out a lot of people, we found out a lot of rumours. Um, I admit my question wasn't the best in the world. Uh, But I thought it was interesting to ask that it's um, it's considering the French Parliament has been not the biggest fan of this, that it was worth a look at. I think we've also found out who are the genuine people, who are the people, the know-how and the bullshitters. Uh, We're not going to name any names, uh, but we found out who's bullshitting and who's not. And I think this podcast has given uh, a huge uh, amount of insight into how the deal is progressing, you know, is it got legs what's you know the credibility you know because we hear takeover rumors all the time and we we don't know whether they're genuine or not there seems to be legs but it's still it's taken a lot of time to get going but i thank ben for clarifying these rumors it's a huge uh sort of just sort of truth for us knowing that we have uh, this man who works in arabia who knows the inside out of the sporting business in that t- part of the world? And I will say that uh, we've learned a tremendous amount tonight, and I, I think it's been a real, a real boost to the spirit in the Marseille fans to hear this
1: news. Okay, thank you. So we need to move on. To be honest, we've got a lot of a uh, what well, other topics that we were hoping to cover. We may not cover them all. Um, the game against Bordeaux last night was supposed to be the main body of the podcast. So since we last podcasted, there was two other games. So we, we came up against PSG um, in, in Le Classique. It was a shit game. We lost. I don't really think any of us want to spend too much time talking about that tonight. Um, and then after that game, we also played Auxerre in the Cup. Came away with a 2-0 victory. I'm not going to ask you about those games actually just because of time, so I'm just going to move quickly on to Bordeaux. Um, Can I just hear your thoughts on the Bordeaux game last night? So, what are your main takeaways, views from what you saw last night? And I should say, just for listeners, if you didn't catch the game, this was a 0-0 draw, Um, and the most significant thing about the draw was that we had nine men for much of the second half, but the yeah, we still need to come away with a point. But yeah, I'll leave it up to you guys. Uh,
2: do you want to go first, I thought we'd
4: agreed to, we'd agreed to do a minute silence because it was that bad. <laughs> 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 no, look, look. It, it, it's a very odd context at OM, as we know. Um, we drew 2-2 against Lens in midweek before... No, sorry, 10 days before that. Then PSG, quite harmless. You know, we did do mention... Surprisingly, they left us quite a lot of the possession as they probably knew that we wouldn 't do much with it bit of a non event really that game not, not I, I was relieved we didn 't concede six, but it could have been six if if they 'd been given a penalty Well, it could have been more than two if they'd been given one of the, one of the couple of penalties they were denied but we we've you know we 've got a number of injuries, suspensions um, and we it was just such an odd game, this bottle game. I had been predicting all week that it would be a nil-nil ball draw, with very few chances, and I, I was actually quite right. Um, not a lot happened in terms of football. I think there were there was a couple of there was one clear chance for either team. Um, fucking Germain, I'm not even going to go into how, why, what what the fuck happened with his chance and, and it just sums up our season, you know, with, beyond bad decisions and bad, bad player form, you then get bad luck because 20 seconds after Germain misses that, Bellardi gets sent off as the, as the sort of last man for putting a, a, the winger down on the on the right side but then Benedetto loses his head and, and, you know, goes in with a pretty fucking rash challenge on Koscielny He gets sent off as well three two or three minutes later and, it, it, I don't think there's a positive you can take from the game, apart from Camarage and, and Lirola, who, who was actually quite impressive going forward. It, we we didn't create any danger at all. And also, to flip it, when we went down to nine men, we, we looked like we were playing better. How does that happen?
0: Uh, yeah. Sorry. No, you're uh, yeah I, uh, yeah yeah okay thank you I, I i i wouldn't be so harsh actually like <laughs> we are in a complete like at, at the bottom of the barrel we are we are looking straight in the uh, in the bottom of the barrel and actually we 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 managed to get to the draw uh, playing nine men against eleven i know that it, it wasn't like the most like a great game uh, etc but i think we have we have to give them credit i know that it speaks mostly about bordeaux maybe or or and, and not uh, not about om but still i think it was a good uh, uh, good result and i wouldn't be so harsh on the team i i, I would just like to, to, to pick some like a, just a few small points uh, about tops and flops for the game i think that um, Lirola was 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 our best player he has a, a a strong pull towards goal and uh, he's actually one of the few players that, that can generate some forward momentum i would say he was also very good uh, against oser when, when uh, in that game he he got to uh two assists so so currently he looks like one, one of our best signings if not the best signing in this uh, in this winter transfer window um, I feel that like Hadi isn't with us, but I I must say that that Peren is really much 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 better than Balardi, and I think we we it was a very uh, it, like v- a very obvious uh, thing to notice if you watched the game. Uh, and one last thing, maybe that, that, that I'll say, I I think I wouldn't be too harsh on Germain. I know that we 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 don't like s- often we speak not so fondly of him, but honestly when he was subbed, subbed off you could uh, see that he tried to give it all and he was like his his shirt was wet that's that's one thing that we uh, that we actually uh, you know uh, that that we ask for the, the players of. so i think that we should give him some credit that he actually he, he 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 is everywhere he tries he isn't a very good football player but still his determination is i think uh, i applaud it that's that's all thank you
2: I think you can applaud uh, Germain's determination, but there is a phrase um, in the UK, uh, busy idiot. Um, I hate to say Valerie Germain, <laughs> Germain put in a truly dreadful performance, but the whole the momentum was bad going into the game. I mean, everyone was wetting their pants because we beat Auxerre and the Coupe de France. I mean, big deal. You know, they're in Ligue 2. This is a game that we came into, we had not beaten. Uh, Bordeaux since 1977 at their place. It was pretty much not going to happen this year, not with the squad that we had. It was I think a really turgid affair. I think it was probably 93 minutes of my life I will never get back. Um, I think both sides were pretty depressing to watch. Bordeaux uh, just did not look like they were going to score. The only player they had uh, that looked like he was really putting any effort in was Ben Afra. Um, Belaradi's sending off was extremely rash. I think he played, again, as he always does, not very good. Um, I think, I, I remember I got a lot of stick uh, because I went after Belaradi, uh at Christmas time. I think I've been proven correct uh, because he's not improved. He's not uh, calmed down. He's just become far too rash, far too stupid to tackle challenges. It's costing us games. Um, Benedetta's sending off, I think it was just pure frustration getting out at the heat of the moment he probably saved himself um you know the the chore of having to watch his chances go wide left right and center i, I just think it was one of those affairs you won't be looking back on in five ten years uh watching an espn classic with a glass of pastiche in your hand you'll be probably wanting to watch it thinking it's 2 a.m you know I'd better be watching some teleshopping shopping because it was that bad of a game. I think really, really poor. And it's unfortunately the summary of Marseille football at the moment. Just dreadful to watch.
1: Okay, thank you, guys. Um, I guess just to add my sort of views on the game is that I just can't believe that Bordeaux couldn't win the game <laughs> with us having nine men for much of that second half. It really shows you how bad Bordeaux must be to not be able to break us down because even before the sending off, we weren't playing very well. We were really poor in the first half. They were all over us for large parts of it. Um, and a couple of individuals on the pitch, which you've mentioned, mentioned, you know, de um were very, very poor. So it's quite remarkable that we got a point from that in the end. Um, so, yeah, I guess the only thing that I can say about this game as the takeaway probably is that we are surviving for the moment and that game really was just really all about surviving um yeah so i don't i don't know really how much to say because it, there wasn't a lot of good football from our end um and even though we played badly I think that was kind of we were we, we can easily ignore that because the fact that we finished with, with nine men, if we'd finished with 11 men in that performance, we'd be slating it even more so. But the fact that we had nine men, we can kind of look back and go, oh yeah, like, you know, the guys that were on the pitch done a job and we got away with one there. And so on. look at look back on it and a bit more positively than potentially we would do if that hadn't, if those guys hadn't got sent off. So it was a very strange game. Um, Sad to not end to be able to break that record that Porto have, but you know maybe next time. I mean, right now we don't even have a coach, so we can't expect too much. Um, so yeah, so that's it. yes yeah on you go yeah.
0: Thomas? Can I just have like one one very small thing, like a small paper paper cut, but it's a small thing, but it drives me furious. Actually, I really really hate this kind of kickoff. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to say that, but like the the, the after after the moment of. Kickoff. If we are the team that kicks the ball as far as we can uh, for a throw in into the uh, opponent's half, I think it shows that we really do not feel comfortable on the ball, and it's it's a really, it's a sign of weakness actually, and it it paints our mental state right now. I think I know it's a very small thing, but I just had it to I I, I had it to let it out of my system.
1: I think you're right. We used to do it a lot under Garcia, didn't we? And then I don't think I really noticed it so much under Avb. But yeah, I agree with you. It's it's like a rugby. It's like what you do in a rugby game. It's very strange, and it yeah, it kind of looks like we are not comfortable that we can actually bring the ball forward on the pitch by playing football. That we have to punt it up and hope that by moving the ball exactly. up touch, very. we can actually get closer to the opponent's box. It's very strange, and it. How often does it work? Never. It never. Never. But the Canal
4: Plus commentator. Yeah, the Canal Plus commentator even said, "Oh, Toban." seems inspired by France's performance away in Dublin today
1: for, the, for in, in the Six Nations. Thanks, mate. <laughs> OK, um, shall we just move on um, and cover the last two items? Because, so, you know, this is such a long part. Um, they, I wanted to talk about the new manager position. I know we talked about this last time, so I don't really want to say too much, but I guess since we last podcasted, it looks more and more that we're focusing on our primary target, which has been identified as Jorge Sampaoli. And I just wanted to hear what your thoughts on him were. Is this a coach that you'd be excited to see at Marseille or not?
2: It's a bit... Uh, no, firstly, I'm not... I'm about as excited as being told that uh, it, I'm being fed uh, a diet of boiled potatoes over the next three days. Um, this man is a head case. He has an awful record. He's not stayed at a job for more than for more than two years, and that was chilly. That was the only one. It would be a bit like giving an arsonist a kind of pet and saying "go nuts." I think you'd be like putting in a lunatic lunatic a child to the side. For what we have, the options though, we don't really have a choice. We've got the youth coach, or we've got, you know, Jorge Sampoli. I I don't know what. What to think? I mean, who else can we get? There's no one who wants this job. Uh, the only way that we'll get someone we actually want is if we do get this Saudi Arabian investment. But of course, as we've heard tonight, it's not looking as easy as one, two, three. Click the thing, is We get Lucia Favre, and then we get Messi or Messi, and then Mbappe, and then we get you know Robert Lewandowski off up front. So I don't think it will be a good appointment, but. We need someone just for that transition to get us through the hump.
0: Okay. What about the others? What are you thinking about, Sam Pauli? Yeah, I, I I just wanted to say that I I, I agree with Ed that it is, it is a very I guess it's a very risky choice, and it's a good point point that you made that he he, he hasn't stayed for a long uh, at at one job. Uh, he actually, if you look at, at his record in Europe, he actually managed only Sevilla in fifty three games. Uh, his win rate was about. Fifty-one percent, so it's not bad, and they actually uh, Sevilla scored uh, ninety-seven goals, so that's a lot. But still, I think it's a it's a risky choice for a situation that is very, very uh, fragile. So, uh, I I'm, maybe I'm not so skeptical, but I think we should be aware of potentially bad consequences uh, of like aggravating our crisis. I think Ben, what about you? What are your thoughts on
4: Sampaoli I, I'm in two minds about this whole managerial situation now, um, just because, um, and, and independently from, from the discussion we've just had about potential sale, which doesn't sound like it's coming anytime soon anyway, but if you bring in a new manager now, he's going to, uh, you know, he's going he's gonna to arrive in an awful context in the club, um, and he's also going to have to make do with with the departures of one third of his playing squad in june on free you know at, at the end of their contracts i don't really see the point um, you could if they're up for it and they understand what they're walking into and they know that they you know this could be three months of dead rubber and then on to the proper tra- pro- projects but i think it's i'd rather we tell him look wait wait till june come in, come in june players will be gone, you'll have a clean slate we'll know exactly what our budget is and then we can we can build from scratch um, rather than him coming in now I, I think my, big, my biggest worry with this manager situation and my biggest frustration with, with yesterday's game as, as a big example is we have Germain, um out of contract this summer we still start them when I would much prefer, given the state we're in and the fact that the outlook is very bleak for the rest of the season, winning or not winning, we've probably got, what, 10% chance of, of getting top three if, if the teams in front of us lose all their games and we win all of ours. Why not play Luis Enrique? Why not play um, you know, some of, the, some of the, the, the youngsters and give them a chance and try and build a tactic and, and give them game time? And I'm worried that a, a manager would come in, try and limit, you know, try and do damage limitation and continue playing Germain, Tovan, all of those, Payette, and arrive this summer with already having alienated some of his squads that are going to be around next season, like Luis Enrique, um, like uh, Dieng, this young striker, and, and a few others in other positions. And it, it could set, The bad environment at the
1: minute could set a bad tone for next season. Yeah, Okay. I think I said this in the last podcast, but my concerns were that he wouldn't be a good appointment at this stage of the season, because I think that the kind of football that he plays is such high-intensity football that you'd really want someone like that in over the summer to be able to get the the best of pre-season. And also, yeah, as you said, Ben, like... If uh, perhaps maybe this potential sale is not in the cards anytime soon, but if it was, um, yeah, I would think this is a strange appointment because you would want someone like Sam Parolli to, to have a decent amount of time to be able to implement his football strategy ethos or whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, it's an odd one. Um, I think that. As a lot of people have said, is that he's potentially OM-compatible in that he's very passionate. He will get the team playing some very exciting football. But it's all it's all going to be very hot and cold. We're going to see extreme highs and extreme lows under Sampali. Um And I don't know if that's what OM really need right now. I feel like OM needs stability. Although I definitely don't want another because we've just endured 18 months or so of really dull football we we want to remember why we love this club so much so we do want someone who's going to bring uh, an exciting brand of football but is some the right man at this moment i don't know um i feel like it could be a bit volatile um so yeah i'm kind of divided on it i i, I as much as I was impressed by some of the things that I saw at Chile and, and Sevilla briefly with him. I'm, I'm a bit worried that he is basically a poor man's Bielsa. That's a bit harsh, but you know, he's like he's like a Bielsa disciple, but he's not quite Bielsa. So we're kind of settling for the second best of version of what we had before, which was really great, but very short-lived. So in that sense, it's a little bit disappointing because we're supposed to be I know things have changed significantly, but under this current ownership was supposed to be a progression over the last ownership of the club. So in that sense, it's a little bit disappointing. But what I, I maybe perhaps there's nothing else that we can expect that would be better for us right now. Um, so yeah, so that's my thoughts on, on that potential appointment. We'll see if it happens. It might not even happen anyway. Um, it seems like his Brazilian club Atlético Mineiro are not really keen on letting him go anyway, and he's under contract, and and we might not get to see him until even the summer or very late in the season, with the way things are going, with the Brazilian season still ongoing right now. Um, but yeah, so the final thing that I wanted to talk about tonight, and I guess we can only cover this very very quickly, was the. Announcement that came today about the consultation that the club are doing with fans, and to hear about what your thoughts were on that. So, I don't know if everyone is familiar with the announcement. So, Ben, do you want to just explain to people what what was published today by by the club? Certainly,
4: it's, uh, it's good. You'll get you'll get the chance to be a it, Steph. <laughs> so, the club. Uh, as part of, sorry, as a follow through of the incidents that occurred a couple of weeks ago that we have condemned wholeheartedly on this on this podcast and many of our fans have, have done so about particularly the violence, obviously, um, the club has taken steps <clears throat> to um, initially censor by using the classic mise en demeure practice, which means sending them a letter um, legally discouraged and discouraging them from um, undertaking any further protests or statements that are negative towards the club and that was that was about i think this was that was early this afternoon and this evening it 's now emerged that, that the club has um, signaled its intent to end uh, any legal or financial agreement that they have in place with said ultras groups which are the the, as we know, you know the, the life and blood of the club for the last fifty years um, to resell tickets or season tickets to their members. Um, whether they can do this unilaterally from a legal point of view, I don't think. Um, but they've, in any case, they've signaled that they're willing to start the, the, the going down the route of, of uh, ending these agreements. So. I'll say a quick piece on this and, and just from the point of view of, of the OM Nation group um, and groups, I think, worldwide, we're all at a loss of what the hell is going on right now. Um, it's it's just, it, it makes it feel very orchestrated. And this, and this consultation of the OM Agora um, initiative, which basically is a a consultation program that the club is going to undertake with selected fan groups. Um, I've, I've, we've just learned that the Iron Nations should be a part of that consultation, apparently, but who knows who else. Um, to redefine what they class as a OM supporter and what supporting the club is and what is good and what is bad, um, it, 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 it just feels like an absolute fucking smokescreen. Um I find it hard to believe with what we know about Iru and um and, and this club and the way it's run. That firstly I find I, I, I can guarantee you that ninety-nine percent of any fan that they involve in the program who um sorry, in the consultation that is an OM fan that has been watching the club for a number of years will will tell you that the club The lifeblood of the club is the virage and the tifo and the flares and the chants. Um, I don't think uh, 99% of the fans will validate that opinion. Um, And secondly, I I feel like it's all a bullshit excuse because they would ignore those positive opinions that why would you change something that isn't broken? And they will will only retain the 0.01% of fans who say, oh, I watched a game with my kid on TV don't like seeing fighting and and I I think that they're looking for that very small percentage of opinions to use it as as an excuse to dissolve the fan clubs and say oh well we asked the fans for their opinion and this is what they came back with and I'm very worried that censorship of, of the feedback of this of this poll and consultation will be the case but that's my two cents over to you guys.
1: Christ, that's terrifying. If that's true, that's really horrible outcome from all this. Um, yeah, have you guys got anything to say about any of that? Have you got any thoughts? it? if you don't, that's fine. I would have
2: liked to. I would have liked to see Bernard Tapie try this in the nineties. I would have liked to have seen de F- Louis de Free try this in two thousand. They know full well they would have never tried it because they would have had a riot on their hands. This is censorship at its finest. We cannot criticize this club, which. Excuse me. We see an owner who doesn't care. We see a president who's running around like a mini dictator. We've got players who don't care. Are we not allowed to criticize? If if I was a member of OM nation, London, right now, if I was the leader of it, I would say, enough. We cannot tolerate this. We need a meeting. This guy cannot run this place like thinking it's his own little country. I'm sorry. Something has to be done. Whether that's boycott of the nation, London, which is probably going to get tanked at the end of the year anyway. This this is this is not prioritising the main fan. We should be as one, not the one fan who sits in Chambly with his two kids and says, well, "This is a bit boring, isn't it? Should we watch cartoons?" Oh, I'm a fan of OM W ninety percent of the time. You know, this is this is not right. This is it's almost like he's trying to get ble- bleach and clean the stadium itself by getting rid of all the fan clubs. Get rid of the passion that makes this club so special. Without the fans, Marseille is nothing. It's no a normal club. You remove the ultras, you remove the fans who pay the money, who graft every day to get that seat at the Classique, at the Olympique, against Bordeaux for the Cup games, for the Champions League games. And you are got to tell them to get lost because they're part of a fan club. How dare you? How dare you? I hope all the web nation presidents stand up for their fans and say
0: to Jacob Rea and Uru,
2: this is unacceptable. Something needs to be said.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that, like, uh, I'm, maybe I maybe I I'm just just to just disagree a little bit. I think that everyone can can call himself an OM fan and have a have a have a voice in what's going on. Uh, but said that, I think that like uh, it is absolutely bizarre for me because it sounds like they're they're trying to come up with the with the strategy that will do the most harm. This is like very difficult for me to understand because it's like they're trying to like like they said to, to to their phone. Siri, generate me the perfect storm. How how can we make this situation even even worse? That's that's the one thing I cannot understand because it is it's really um, it's it's truly bizarre for me. I think it's it's a bad move and it's a bad move in a very bad situation. That's why I I, I cannot comprehend that.
2: Can I just add something very quickly? Um, I didn't mean you normal fan who watches every game on the TV. I mean fans who switch off after after about 45, 50 minutes, who don't watch every uh game if they can. They tend not to watch it. They tend to do something else. That's what I meant. I'm not meaning fans like Thomas. I'm not meaning fans who listen to our podcast. I mean it for the johnny come Late the, the foot sexes who are not that bothered. That's what I meant. So I apologise then. Yeah,
1: yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, of my view, I would just say that as it's, it's you've sort of said, Thomas, it's really, they, they couldn't make it worse, could they, by, by announcing this? You know, they're really, really going to new levels to piss everyone off and upset the people that already feel incredibly ostracised. You know, there's supporters groups that feel that they are being pushed out, and yeah, it seems like they're just trying their best to, to, to do that. Um, I mean, essentially, it looks like they just want rid of anyone that doesn't fit with the image that they want of the OM supporter, and that is not the supporters' club, sadly. Um it's yeah, it's just it's quite surprising, and I yeah, you do worry about the club's identity in the long term, and and how this will impact it. Um, I would just I, I kind of touched upon this in the previous podcast, I think, because we when we were talking about the incident at at the training centre. Um, yeah, I just feel like it's like a cleansing exercise. Um, it almost feels like, and I, I, I say this. I know this is a very crass, um, exp, uh, expression or comparison. Let's say to to use, but it almost feels like it's like the, a genocide of OM fans, and yeah, it's just really shocking. It just feels like they want to to cleanse the club of of its supporters or or the the ones that they don't feel fit with the identity that they want to portray to to the world to the outer world and it's very sad because those very supporters are key to that this club's identity
4: exactly and it feels and and stepping it's exactly what you said and to go a step further based on the recent incidents it feels orchestrated it feels like when you're in you're working in a job and and you, you undergo a constructive dismissal procedure where someone sets you up for the fall and you fall for it, and then you get screwed. And this, this is exactly what it looks like. And, and that's why, it, beyond, beyond the fact that it's even been considered, the methodology employed was, was never going to go down well. And It's only added fuel to the, to the very burning incandescent flame that is burning in terms of the movement against the current leadership of this club
1: yeah i i would say actually just to add to that to round the the top the discussion off is that for me as an outsider someone who's not based in marseille is not is not based in france um and i've been hearing this conversation online entirely you know that's been taking place for over the last year or two about how some of the fans feel about what's going on we talked about in the last episode from ERO and and the club and and, and what they're trying to do and and what we're seeing like today for example really does reinforce those fears that people have that they are being pushed out and that it's as you said it's very orchestrated it's I was quite shocked, not shocked but just kind of like oh fuck this people are possibly right about all the fears that they have it does look like this um and you can when you see what happened what was announced today when you look back at what we talked about two weeks ago which we you know we were critical of in the podcast um and that you know that's fine i'm not changing that but you can you can understand how frustrated some people are right now Um, particularly those people that are closest to the club and the city and so on you can understand that and I'm not don't want to go into the discussion about what happened a few weeks ago that we talked about already but just say and or justify it or anything like that but just say that you can you can see how what is going on with the club is becoming very frustrating for people and very upsetting Um, so yeah it's it's not great. It's it's um, and it's quite worrying. But we'll see how this unfolds, and who knows? Let's just hope that um, that Ben earlier on tonight is wrong, and things are more advanced than we think, than he thinks, and that we, <laughs> we can get a change of owner. I'm gonna it I'm gonna light some and positivity to, every day to everything. Though. <laughs> yeah yeah a good idea um, okay I'm going to wrap <laughs> up tonight guys because it's such a super long episode we're nearly two hours in I think um, and I'm uh, yeah I'm sorry that not everyone probably got to to, sp- to speak as much as we'd like to but maybe we all enjoyed listening to someone else come and tell us a bit about things that might be going on um, so yeah um, thanks for sure. guys for taking part I, I think oh, this was pleasure. thank and, you uh, it was very, to... very very very
4: Yeah, thanks again to Ben Jacobs for joining us. Very, very insightful and yeah, really enjoyed it with you guys. Have
1: a good night. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And um, if you're listening to us for the first time, you know, follow us on Twitter. um, If you can rate, review and subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, um, yeah, share the podcast you know there's a whole world of om fans out there that maybe haven't come across us yet so do share share this content with us with everyone sorry um but yeah thank you very much good night and um yeah we'll see you next time